Well, being that it's uh, October and also harvest season, um, my mind has been drawn lately to uh, Jesus' reference to farming in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about farming throughout the the four Gospel accounts in the New Testament because uh, he lived in a society that revolved heavily around agriculture, and he would often point to something familiar uh, in order to communicate a truth that was not familiar to those listening. Um, we see Jesus doing this quite a bit throughout the Gospels, you know, drawing parallels between ordinary things in the world like farming in order to reveal something extraordinary about the kingdom of God that he had come to bring. Um, and being that, that we live in the rural Midwest, a society that also revolves heavily around agriculture, I thought that we'd spend a few weeks looking at one image in particular that Jesus uses throughout the Gospels, and that is the harvest. Um, And uh, we got this this nice little graphic that you might recognize, actually. This is a picture that uh, Joe got last year of his combine. John, don't pay attention to the color, okay? That's... Uh, but, but thank you to Joe for allowing me to uh, use that picture uh, for our uh, sermon series. And um, we're going to be talking about the harvest. Uh, when, when Jesus uh, talked about the harvest, he, he certainly uh, had farming in mind. Um, but it was altogether a different kind of farming uh, than we might initially think of. Um, you know, for that matter, it was a different kind of farming than, than uh, anyone in his day uh, might have thought of as well. Uh, so over the next three weeks, we're, we're going to discover together uh, what Jesus meant when he talked about the harvest. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at what it means to sow for the harvest, uh, because everybody knows that in order to have a harvest, you first have to plant seeds. Uh, so in order to communicate to his followers what it means to sow for the harvest, Jesus used a parable. Uh, which was one of the main teaching methods Jesus used uh, throughout the Gospels. The, the word parable comes from the Greek word parabole, which literally translated means to throw beside. All right, So para means beside, bole means to throw. Uh, so when Jesus told the parable, he would literally throw a heavenly truth beside something ordinary in order to help people understand it. Um, And in our passage for today, Jesus refers to these heavenly truths as the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. After Jesus told the parable we'll be looking at today, his followers came to him afterwards and asked him why he spoke in parables. And he replied, the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside... Everything is said in parables so that, and then he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. He says that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And there he was talking about the hard-heartedness of people, even, even religious people. Um, and and was using that quote from Isaiah to essentially say, I could teach until I'm blue in the face, and and there will still be some people who don't get it. There there will still be some people whose hearts are so hard that they will be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. 
That means it's only those who take the time to sit with and chew on the teachings and parables of Jesus who will come to discover the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God that those parables contain. The, the parables of Jesus don't immediately reveal the truths that Jesus is trying to communicate, right? Just like a plant doesn't sprout up overnight and is fully rooted, because you have to be seeking truth in the first place in order to find the truth that Jesus reveals in his parables. So it's only those who, who are willing to go deeper and seek further who are able to, to grasp these parables that Jesus told. And otherwise, they, they went straight over the heads of Jesus' larger audience. So, so when you hear the word secret or mystery, that's the idea I'd like you to, to have in your mind. You know, it's not that Jesus was, was trying to hide something from people uh, by speaking in parables, but rather he was putting the truth right out there to be grasped. But it was only those who were willing to go the extra mile in order to grasp it who could, right? Because Jesus' parables cause us to think. They cause us to stop and think, hmm, what's Jesus trying to say? And it's only those who stop and actually reflect on it, chew on it, meditate on it, who might be able to catch the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God. So thinking about this um, brought to mind an experience I had as a kid. Um, my grandfather uh, was a farmer. He's a retired farmer now. Um, so I grew up around his farm. And uh, at my grandfather's farm, he had this little go-kart that he let me drive around. Um, and there's nothing quite like the, the feeling of freedom that you get as a 10-year-old boy when your grandpa fires up something with a steering wheel and a gas pedal and says, drive, kid. Anybody, yeah? Anybody feel me? Yeah. So, so one day, um, I, was, I was driving my little go-kart around his property. Um, and uh, much of the land that my grandfather owns is near the Mackinac River. Uh, which means the soil is very silty uh, and requires irrigation. So he has these big irrigation systems all over his fields. Um, and I drive my little go-kart, and I, I don't know whether I got distracted or what, but one second I'm driving, and the next second, bam, I plow straight into the tire on one of those irrigation systems. I mean, that thing just, just came out of nowhere. Now, now if you ask my wife... She would tell you that me uh, being a distracted individual is not out of the ordinary. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure if I was looking at the clouds or what, but long story short, I ended up costing my grandfather a new tire on his irrigation system. And just like I was completely unaware of that irrigation system's existence before, before plowing straight into it, Jesus warns his followers that some who hear his parables will not be able to grasp the, quote, secrets or mysteries that are contained in his parables until it's too late. That's a scary thought, right? You could, you could live your whole life never knowing these mysteries of God's kingdom and be none the wiser until it's too late. And you end up smacking right into them. So, let's attempt to grasp the mystery that Jesus communicates to us through the parable of the sower. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and uh, open them to uh, Mark 4. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, we've got some Bibles in your pews. Feel free to use those. If you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you today. 
Um, but uh, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 4 and uh, see what Jesus has to say to us today. So Jesus was uh, teaching by the, the Sea of, of Galilee, uh, and by this point in his ministry, he had begun to draw such large crowds that he had to actually retreat uh, to a, a boat on the sea uh, while people sat on the shore and listened to him teach. Um, and uh, this is a, a common theme in Jesus' life and ministry. His, his radical teachings and miraculous healings generated quite the fan club. All right? People would come out in droves to listen to his teachings or to be healed because they wanted something from Jesus. But in this parable, Jesus acknowledges the fact that there were many in the crowd gathered right there uh, who in the midst of trying to get what they wanted from Jesus would end up missing what they truly needed, which is what Jesus came to bring all along. So he begins his parable in verse 3. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, before we get too huffy that a farmer would be careless enough to throw valuable seed on a footpath, because obviously no farmer would do that today, uh, we, we need to understand a little bit about uh, farming practices in ancient Palestine. So in those days, uh, it was common practice for a farmer to scatter the seed first and then plow it into the ground. Um, and that might seem a little backwards to us, but that was a common practice in Jesus' day. Um, so the, the fields in Palestine were kind of these long strips, often divided by little more than a footpath between them. So as a farmer went along scattering seed, some of it would naturally just kind of fall along that footpath. And the soil on these paths was so compacted and hardened by people walking on it that the seed would just sit on top, making it the perfect snack for a hungry bird. And Jesus continues, verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. So since farmers in that day plowed after their seeds were sown, they would often not realize that they were scattering seed across a thin layer of soil that had a thick layer of limestone beneath it. Um, and seeds on this ground would begin to sprout up, but since their roots were so shallow, they would quickly be killed by the heat of the sun. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Um, now, it's possible that this part of the field contained good soil, right? But, but it also contained thistles that got plowed in with the seed, and since both grew up together, the crop didn't bear harvest. Then verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Now, a good crop in Jesus' day would have yielded 8 to 10 times uh, the amount of seeds planted. Um, now, that might seem like nothing in comparison today, uh, where a good crop yields, get this, close to 500 times the seeds planted, sometimes even more, if you're John Yealy, I've heard. <laughs> um, now, uh, uh, sometimes, so sometimes it yields even more than 500 times the seeds planted, but Jesus said 
that the seed that falls on good soil would produce unheard of yields for his day and age. 30, 60, even 100 times seeds planted. Um, so, so now that we've, we've heard this parable, um, if we are to be wise in seeking the secrets or the mysteries of God's kingdom that, that it's trying to communicate, we have to ask, just like Jesus' followers did, what does this parable mean? And, and fortunately for us, Mark recorded Jesus' explanation of this parable in the following verses. Uh, so let's check it out. Uh, after his followers came to Jesus and, and asked him the meaning of his parable, he says, verse 13, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you be under, able to understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Uh, so the seed that the farmer is sowing is the word or the, the proclamation about the kingdom of God uh, that Jesus had come to bring. And Jesus would soon entrust the work of proclaiming God's kingdom to his disciples as well. So that means the farmer in this parable is anybody who does the work of proclaiming the gospel. The, the good news, of the, the new life that Jesus came to bring. Now, it, it's worth noting that if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are among those who have been entrusted with the work of scattering seed. Uh, in, in Matthew 20, Jesus uses a parable to compare his followers to hired laborers in a vineyard. So as, as followers of Jesus, we can view ourselves more or less as farmhands who have been hired for the task of scattering seed. And as we scatter the seeds of, of God's kingdom, Jesus says there are four kinds of soil that it can fall upon, uh, which represent four different conditions of the human heart. And even though Jesus has entrusted us with the work of scattering seed, we can be equally as susceptible to these four conditions of the heart that Jesus describes. Um, so here, not only was Jesus instructing his followers on the different types of reactions that they would encounter to the sowing of the word, but he was also warning his followers to be wary about the conditions of their own hearts. So let's see what we can learn. Uh, he says, verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So there are some who, who when they hear the message of the gospel, are completely oblivious to its meaning and implication on their lives. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is, get this, foolishness to those who are perishing. It's nonsense. If a person like this hears the gospel, they're like, well, what, why does that matter to my life? You know, they're like me driving my little go-kart around my grandpa's farm, you know, completely oblivious to the fact that they're driving straight towards a giant irrigation system that they're about to smack into. What we have to say goes right over their heads and they're content with their lives as they are and can't fathom why they would even need Jesus. As soon as they hear the message of the gospel, like birds come and gobble up seeds sown along a path, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Verse 16, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. So they're happy, right? They, they find joy in the forgiveness that Jesus offers and, and they find joy in the message of God's kingdom. But since they have no root, 
they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This would describe the large crowds that Jesus drew uh, with his teaching and healing. You know, many initially showed up for what they thought Jesus could give them. And they were enthusiastic about being his disciples. But as soon as they realized that following after Jesus required a lot of them, they fell away. Sadly, the same thing often happens today. Many are initially attracted to Jesus by the idea of maybe eternal life or the forgiveness of their sins, but then they find out that actually following Jesus is really difficult, right? Because receiving forgiveness of your sins only takes a moment, but following Jesus takes a lifetime, right? And that daily process of of dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following after Jesus is a lot harder than you might expect. And so for some people, like a plant with no roots, they kind of just wither up and go back to their old lives and give it up. Man, this is too hard. Then verse 18, still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, this is possibly the scariest of the four soil types that Jesus talks about. Because he's saying here that there are those who, by all accounts, have the appearance of good soil, but are really full of weeds. These are people who initially receive the word and respond to it, but as the seed of the word grows within them, it's stunted by the other junk that's growing alongside it. Instead of giving Jesus full control over their lives, letting him have lordship, over their whole life. They, they want to share that control and that lordship with other things. Whether those other things are, like Jesus says, the worries of day-to-day life, or what he calls the deceitfulness of riches, that pursuit after stuff, or even seeking after other things that are not of God. Our hopes, our wants, our, our plans, our desires, our schedules, whatever it is, these things are like thorns that spring up and choke out the seed of the gospel in our lives, making it fruitless. The sad truth is I believe that there are a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus who probably find themselves in this camp. And then they get so frustrated and and miserable because they, they can't figure out why they feel so distant from God all the time when really it's because they just have all these thorns growing up around the seed of the gospel slowly choking it out. And then finally, in verse 20, Jesus says, others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now, what makes a soil good? Jesus doesn't really tell us, but we can at least know what it's not, right? It's, it's not hard. It's not rocky. It's not thorny. It's just soil. And good soil is able to receive the word of the gospel in a way that produces a crop up to a hundred times what was sown. And I believe these are people who not just hear the word, but 
accept it. That's what Jesus says, right? Who, who put it into, into practice and, and walk in daily obedience to Jesus even when it's difficult and even when it means making great sacrifices in order to do so. And the result is that others come to know the gospel through them, which produces a great harvest. So when it comes to the work of, of scattering seeds that Jesus has entrusted us with, um, I think we who profess and claim to be followers of Jesus can learn two main lessons from this parable for today. First, our only responsibility as farmhands is to scatter the seed of the gospel. Now notice that the farmer scattered the seed freely and generously. Okay, now this goes against farming practices today, but in, in this parable, the, the sower didn't care what kind of soil the seed landed on. He just scattered it and then let the plow figure it out. In the same way, we're not supposed to pick and choose who we share the message of the gospel with. You know, sure, some of our words will fall on hard hearts. Others will fall on rocky hearts, and, and still others will fall on thorny hearts. But at the end of the day, that is not for us to worry about. We just need to be faithful in the work of scattering seed. And related to that idea, the second thing I think we can learn from this parable is that we are also not responsible for the condition of the soil. Remember, we are not the landowner. We're just farmhands. The condition of the soil is the landowner's responsibility. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has making, been making it grow. So only God can cause the seed of His Word to grow in a person's heart. That means if, if you were convicted by Jesus' descriptions of the different kinds of soil, Remember that not only are you a farmhand, you are also the soil. And guess what? Soil can't weed itself. It can't remove rocks from itself. The only thing it can do is receive the seed of the Word. So if you've received the seed of the Word this morning, and you're sitting here thinking, well, maybe I'm on the shallow soil, or maybe I'm full of thorns. Just ask the landowner to come and plow the soil of your heart because it's only the power of the cross and of God's Spirit that flows to us through the grace of Jesus Christ that can break up the hard soil and pull the weeds out of your life. As we approach the communion table this morning, if you have failed in your duty to scatter seed, you can find forgiveness in this meal. To be picked up by Jesus, dusted off, and sent out to try again. If, if the soil in your heart is, is hard or rocky or thorny, whatever, God can cultivate the soil of your heart through this meal, all you have to do is humble yourself in repentance and ask for His grace. The founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, believed that this table was a place 
where a person could encounter the saving grace of Jesus Christ for the first time. So if you've been feeling distant from God, you know, maybe you've got those thorns that are just growing up in your life, all those distractions that are just choking it out. Maybe this is the first time that, that the, the Word of God has hit the hard soil of your heart and you're feeling convicted and you're like, man, I need the Spirit to come into my life and transform me. Or maybe you just realize, well, may, maybe I've just been a little bit too enthusiastic, but when it comes down to really following after Jesus, I just haven't been doing that. Whatever the case, all you need to do is repent. Ask for God to come in and change your heart, and He will do the rest of the work. Because of the cross of Christ, we are able to find not only forgiveness from our sins, but the freedom to live in that newness of life, free from sin. And so if you're seeking that freedom this morning, if you are, if you are desiring for God to come into your heart and for Jesus to be Lord of your life, this meal is for you. So anyone who is feeling called to repent of their sin, I invite you to just come forward and receive this meal this morning. Uh, if, if you are wanting to recommit yourself to the work of sowing for the harvest, come forward this morning. And, and uh, if you need to stop at the prayer rail and just spend some time with God, I encourage you to do that. Just make this a time to meet with Jesus. So as we prepare to meet with Jesus this morning, I, I invite you to join me uh, in the prayer of confession found on the screen. Let's pray together.